0: let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds that we might hear your word for us today, and in our hearing give us the courage and strength to obey. We make our prayer in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, the word made flesh. Amen. The lectionary texts for this Sunday begin in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. Today we are celebrating the baptism of the Lord, and it is always helpful when you read Scripture, whenever you come across references to water, to think about them sacramentally. And so I invite you with a baptismal mindset to listen for God's word to you. and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And the New Testament lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 and 21 and 22. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. "'I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. "'He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. "'His winnowing fork is in his hand "'to clear his threshing floor "'and to gather the wheat into his granary. "'But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. "'Now when all the people were baptized "'and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying,' Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's scripture text has historically created some confusion and even controversy among biblical interpreters who have wondered why it is that Jesus needed to be baptized. Baptism, after all, is typically associated with the removal of sin, and in particular the removal of original sin. But the church has always confessed that Jesus was like us in every way but without sin, and certainly was not born with original sin. So why then did Jesus need to be baptized? Original sin refers to the idea that sin is so ingrained in us, so ingrained in the human race that we are born with it. It's in the structures of our societies. It's in the waters that we swim in. It's almost like sin is passed on to us from our parents the way that genes are passed on to us. For this reason, even infants need to be baptized in some traditions because although they have not willfully chosen to commit sin, nevertheless they have been born into sin's orbit. It's like King David confesses in Psalm 51 when he says, Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. But Jesus' baptism in the Jordan isn't concerned with what baptism is taking away. Instead, today's text emphasizes what's being conferred. At Jesus' baptism, God, speaking from heaven, bestows an identity on Jesus. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. God says. Of course this was Jesus's identity all along, but now he can de- he can drink deeply from this proclamation. At his baptism Jesus hears these audible words from heaven from God and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Jesus is able to now internalize this identity. It sinks deep within his soul as he rises up from the baptismal waters. Jesus would walk away from his baptism knowing that his core identity, the thing that is most true about him, is that he is God's beloved son. Maybe baptism is about the bestowal of our identities as children of God. At our baptism, something is declared about us that is more true than anything else we could say about ourselves. You are a child of God. This is who we really are. This is our true self. And it's this baptismal identity that forms the foundation of the Christian life. This is not to say that baptism has nothing to do with original sin— But maybe original sin has something to do with our inability to grasp our true identity as children of God. Maybe it's from our ignorance of our true identity as God's children that sin gains a foothold in our lives in the first place. Maybe original sin is that we often spend our lives taking on all kinds of false and fictive identities as we walk around trying to prove ourselves to one another, or be someone that we're not, or assimilate seamlessly into the world. The sin of taking on a false identity, after all, seems to me to be about as universal as any original sin might be. I mean, who among us hasn't worried about what others will think of us? Who among us hasn't worried about being accepted or loved or valued? Who among us has never fudged or compromised even just a little bit on our core values in an effort to fit in or save face? Humans have been placing false identities on one another for an awfully long time. In fact, many linguists believe that human language developed originally as a way for humans to gossip about one another, to share important information about who the enemies were and who could be trusted, who was honest and who was dishonest. Identities became more and more important for cooperation among different groups as humans sought to define who was in and who was out. And so ultimately, every human society has developed its own hierarchies and structures based on arbitrary identities like rich and poor, clean and unclean, slave and free, important and unimportant. And so we wind up with this long-practiced original sin of placing false identities on one another as a way to categorize our society And it is terribly easy to internalize these false identities. When I was a kid, I used to ride my bike to elementary school. It wasn't far away. And then one day I realized that lots of kids were riding scooters to school instead of bikes. And not just any scooter, but a Razor scooter was the hip Scooter. I don't know if it was just in Denver when Razor scooters were cool. I see some other people nodding. Perhaps it was a nationwide phenomenon. Boy, did those Razor scooters make you cool. Thankfully, Santa Claus came through for me that year and I got a brand new Razor scooter for Christmas with red handles and I was moving on up in life. But you know, I found those things to be super uncomfortable to ride It was so much more work than riding a bike, and the slightest dent in the sidewalk would send you flying over the handlebars. I ended up hating the thing, and no one even seemed to notice how cool I had become. So I quickly abandoned it and went back to my bike. It'd be one thing if we stopped taking on false identities when we became an adult. It wouldn't be such a big problem, but it doesn't work that way, does it? Even as adults, we continue to seek labels for ourselves. We want to be seen as successful, or creative, or independent. Or we want to be seen as different, or non-conformist, or edgy. So we put on whatever outward facade will convey the message, because we all want to fit in somewhere, right? You know, you can never just go and buy a pair of jeans. The kind of jeans you buy will always say something more about you than just that you wear pants. You might buy designer jeans as a status statement or because you think you look especially good in them. You might buy the cheapest, most ordinary jeans you can find to prove your wise economic sensibilities or that you're not shallow. You might buy dark blue jeans to show that even when you're casual, you should be taken seriously. Or you might buy jeans with holes already in them. Distressed denim, as it's called, since you're a non-conformist who's not ready to conform to what society considers proper. Oh no, you can't just buy a pair of jeans. You're always sending a signal, conveying an identity, making a statement, if only to yourself, whenever you buy a pair of jeans. Far more insidious though, are the negative identities we assign ourselves. I never do anything right, we might tell ourselves after a minor miscommunication or an insignificant oversight. I always need to be perfect, the perfectionist thinks, obsessing over whatever's lacking. Everything depends on me, size the overfunctioner who makes themselves responsible for everyone else's happiness. Over time, these sorts of identities become internalized, and many of us wind up living our lives with a needless amount of anxiety and shame. Psychologists distinguish between guilt and shame. Guilt tells us I did something bad, while shame tells us I am Bad. Guilt can sometimes be helpful. If I speak harshly to someone and feel guilty about it, I may be motivated to apologize for my actions and seek forgiveness. That's not who I am, I might think to myself, and so I'm spurred to action. But if I feel shame, I may begin to tell myself things like, That is who I am. I can't maintain good relationships. I'm no good, I'm not likable. And you see, whenever we make these sorts of I am statements about ourselves, we're conferring an identity on ourselves. We're beginning to wear that identity. And these can be dangerous identities, besides being untrue. If we say, I made a silly mistake on my exam, we acknowledge that sometimes we're not at our best. But if we say, I'm not smart, I'm bad at taking exams, then we're placing a false identity on ourselves. If we say, I need more help than I used to as I get older, then we're acknowledging that at various seasons of life we have various needs. But if we say, I'm a burden to everyone around me, then we're placing a false identity on ourselves. Now, friends, the good news is that ultimately, whether the labels we place on ourselves are shallow or aspirational or conceited or self-deprecating, none of them can be more true about us than our identities conveyed to us in our baptisms. Since God made us, it is God's prerogative to define who we are. And God chooses not to define us merely by our sin, but by who we are in Christ. God chooses not to define us merely as creatures, but as children. This is why at Jesus' baptism, the language of parent and child is used. Our most powerful connections in life, our most rooted identities are with those we designate as family. You may have a great relationship with your family of origin, or you may not, but either way, you cannot cease to be your parent's child. It's your identity, whether you like it or not. And so when God calls Jesus, my son, the beloved, God is stating something so absolutely core to who Jesus is that it cannot be denied or overridden. And the same happens to us at our baptisms when we declare to the baptized, you are a child of God. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been marked as Christ's own forever. We heard these words seven times in nine weeks this past fall as we celebrated so many baptisms. It was a wonderful time. When we baptize, we confer an identity that cannot be shed no matter what. For we do not cease to be God's child any more than we cease to be our parent's child. But of course, we can try, right? And many of us do not live as though our identity as a child of God were the thing that is most true about us. As a millennial myself, I struggle with why this is true for so many of my peers. Not many young people go to church. Maybe you've heard, and the rumors are true. The youth group that I grew up in, in the church, my home church, had 25 kids in my grade alone, and today only a handful of them are active in a church, so far as I know. Even a shocking number of the students With which I studied theology in college have are still involved in a church or have abandoned their faith many of them no longer practice their faith at all for various reasons I'm sure many of you know people who you love and care about who were baptized and raised in the church but for one reason or another they don't seem to care much about religion or spirituality these days it's not uncommon but it can be painful When these are people we love but into this mysterious unknown which is so difficult to understand we must once again affirm the primacy of our baptismal identities we are children of god even when we ignore it even when we live even when we fail to live into that identity even when we cling to all sorts of false identities that can never contain the fullness Of who we are. God has made an irrevocable claim upon us in our baptisms, and that makes us God's beloved. That makes us God's children, no matter what happens. Prior to his ministry, Jesus needed to hear these words from God and to drink deeply from the knowledge of his true identity, because throughout his subsequent ministry, which is now set to begin, Jesus would be plastered with all sorts of other identities. Satan would challenge him to prove that he is God's son by turning stones into bread or by throwing himself from the temple. Some would say that Jesus was Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Some would say he was Beelzebub, the prince of demons. People would demand signs and wonders They would call him a a blasphemer, a great deceiver of the nations. They would mock him as a fake king, beat him, humiliate him. False identities, all of them false. But no matter the depth of the hatred and the opposition that Jesus would face, no identity could be forced upon him that could overtake God's baptismal claim, you are my son. No matter the extent of the darkness Jesus would confront, no created reality could overtake God's sovereign baptismal claim. You are my son. Jesus would need to remain grounded in this identity to overcome all the other identities that would seek a claim upon him. And my friends, so do we. So do we. People will try to define us, and label us, and categorize us, and we will try to define and label and categorize ourselves. We'll exhaust ourselves trying to prove ourselves, or minimize ourselves, or defend ourselves. But in the end, because we share in Christ's baptism, we share in his identity as children of God. And no other identity has a stronger claim on us than that. What is most true about us, and what will always be most true about us, is that we have been claimed, marked, and sealed as God's own forever. Alleluia, and thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.